If we're honest, how many of us would skip over all the details of that chapter when we're reading? <laughs> Notice the only honest people in the church are the men. I expect the altar to be full of Kathy, who's kind of like a man when it comes to attitude. So, But the rest of you normal acting women, you don't come to the altar at the end because you know you'd skip over it too. You know, I read this chapter, and I'll go ahead and tell you and kind of, kind of spill the beans. We're going to chapter 7 as well so that we could jump into chapter 8 uh, next week. And, and I read 6 and 7. I'm like, man, Lord, I'd really just like to. You, this is bad when you tell God this, so I'm confessing to you guys. I, God, I'd really like to just skip over these two chapters if we could, but he, would, he wouldn't go for it. So, um, you know, here we are still in it. But here's the thing to keep in mind. While we would skip over it, it's no different than, like, some of the names when it lists those genealogies and scriptures. It has a purpose. You know, it really does. It's to show us how it's it's strapped, how beautiful, how beautiful this building, you know, this temple would really be. Um, You know, I mean, and it wasn't big. I want us to keep in mind that when it gives these measurements, you know, it's not much bigger than the main part of our sanctuary here. You know, it was 30, roughly 30 feet wide. Now, a cubit, understand this, because if you study any of this and checking this out on dimensions, a cubit was anywhere from a little bit less than 18 inches up to 24 inches. So it wasn't like they had the best measuring system. Luckily, when you had the the boss, whoever was in charge of your building project, uh, they used the same measurement the whole time. But for us, when we hear the word cubit in scripture, it was never like the exact same measurement every time. Now, for each project, it was, you know, so so which we'll get to some of the detail. It had to why it had to be so precise here. But keep that in mind. So, yes, I understand when I tell you it was roughly 90 feet long, it could have been upwards to 120 feet long. I'm not going to argue with you over 30 feet, okay? I also understand it had a 15-foot porch on it, if you want to add that into it as well. Uh, when I say it was 30 feet wide, yes, I understand it could have actually been 36 feet wide. My point is this. When, when you're talking about the temple, the greatest building structure they've ever had at the time, and you look at this, it's not much bigger than what we have here, other than the ceilings would have been higher. Their ceilings roughly would have been almost 45 feet high. Uh, so, I mean, it, you know, and, and all that stuff laid in gold, those – those cherubim standing there at the, at the front with, with wings stretched across the whole thing. And, and then you picture some of the, some of the, I don't want to get to it too early, but you picture some of the detail. Then you picture everything they had was laid in gold. Everything. So one of the easy lessons we get right at the very beginning is God is not about something having to be big. It just has to be right. We understand that? And that's something big for us, because sometimes I think we fall in the trap of thinking like we got to be the biggest and we got to be the best. No, it just has to be right. I mean, something as simple as this, this tiny house, which is tiny. But I guarantee like when it's done, that lady's not going to be like, you know what? I'd rather have my old rundown trailer with no AC and no, no walls and no floors falling. And you know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't have to be big to be right. And it doesn't have to be big to, for, for the depth to be there. And sometimes we miss that when we're talking spiritually. So, so here's what I want you to think about. For those of you that didn't get to work yesterday, and, and I'm one of them because I was following the boys' games yesterday. You, you ever had a project to build something? And it doesn't have to be a physical. Some of you are thinking, I don't do no construction. Well, well let's get past that. Yeah, so, so we may be talking about a house or a factory. Or what about a, building a program? Construction works in many ways, right? What about building a program, a program that's never been done before? What about building a life? What about building a marriage? What about building a family? What about building up the next generation? What about building a career? 
I don't care which one of them we're talking about. None of that stuff is easy. Am I right? I mean, some of it downright sucks to have to be doing. Some of, some of the process is, is tough. It takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of dedication, creativity, love, persistence, all these things to accomplish building this stuff. It takes you swallowing your pride sometimes. And I'm not picking on Cliff when I keep pointing this out. I love that. And it was on Facebook, so I'm not like picking out on some private message. So all of you have seen it. But when he said, you know, one of the biggest lessons I learned is sometimes if you don't know what you're doing, you step back and let the pros handle it. Now, that wasn't his word, but it, was, it got the basic idea, right? So, so go back, but, it, but he's so right. Sometimes we need to understand that we don't know what the heck we're doing. We need to step back and let somebody show us. Now, I don't care if we're talking about building a building or building our career, building our life, or building our marriage, or building up our children, right? There's always somebody wiser and better than us, some wisdom, some sacrifice, some dedication that we've been slacking on that we can get from somewhere else. I mean, if you stand back and you go and drive around the great states or, or even just in the low country, you see so many projects that were started and not yet finished. You go into people's homes and you see things that were started and not yet finished. That was a moment for you women to amen. Like it was right there. You should have took it and you didn't take it. So thank you for being humble, right? So many things that were began and and not fulfilled to completion. And we need to grab a hold of this. And we need to understand some of the most important things on this building is making sure the foundation is right. When you read this, especially when we looked at last week and, and even we'll look at some more of the details at the end of chapter seven. Man, he spends so much time getting rocks and getting wood together. And then when he's done building, what does he do? Do you even see the rocks or the wood? No, because it's all covered in gold and bronze. All of it's covered up. So you're thinking, man, why didn't you just go down and buy like the untreated leftover two by fours at the end of the Lowe's aisle that are on sale for like 50 cents a piece? And why didn't you go get, you know, some some rocks that were, yeah, you can go to 84 Lumber and get cheap wood, man. Dollar board, not 80, not 50 cents, right? But, but <laughs> you know, you go to some of these things and, 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 and we need to understand like the foundation is what was most important. Because if he'd have just done this thing, and, and here, here's what I look at, you know, gold could be tough, right? But, you know, gold can't withstand the fire, right? Any of you ever been in something in life where you felt like the heat was turned up on you? That's it. He knew he had to have the right foundation because when the heat gets turned up, the gold may melt. But the stone and the, the, the cedar, those cedar logs, they would stay where they were supposed to be for a longer period of time. It's your foundation that's got to be built the right way. All right, so put yourself in these guys' shoes. You know, they, they're, they're out of the Exodus finally. They're, they're out of those years of, of slavery in Egypt. When they're there, revealed to Moses is the blueprint for the tabernacle. From that time on, the children of God dreamed of building a permanent structure. Remember the difference. Tabernacle's a tent. Temple's this permanent location. All right, so, so we got that going. Finally, this time has arrived. God is allowing Solomon to step up to the plate to build this temple in Jerusalem. It's going to be the birthplace. It's going to be a house of prayer. It's going to symbolically be God's dwelling place on earth. Uh, it's going to be the center of everything, the very heart of the temple. As Mike just read, the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies is where the Holy, the Ark of the Covenant is going to be set. The mercy seat is going to be placed on top. I mean, th- this is just a, a, an awesome, awesome thing that's taking place. And as we look at this, go back to verse one. Here's what we need to grab a hold of. When things are important, the details matter. Verse one. It started out in the 418th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. They know exactly when the temple was built. It's things that are important to you. Don't, don't we know the exact moment they happen? I mean, you know the birth of your children, right? Hopefully. 
Dads, if you don't, just pretend like, yeah, of course I do. And then you can Google it later. Right. So, you know, we know our birthdays. We know our our anniversaries. We know, you know, dates of graduation. We know we know some of the most important things out there. And it's no different when it comes to this. This is a significant event in Israel's history. So that the verse in the chapter just starts out very briefly, just telling us this is the exact time this is recorded. And it's even telling us, yes, yes, David or God had promised David that his son would build a temple. But God says, I'm going to establish the kingdom. Look, look again at what he says. He began to build the house of the Lord. Same verse. Now, what I want you to understand, this is when physical physical construction started. So if you guys were there yesterday, well, technically they they jumped the gun and started a little bit on Friday because some foundation and stuff was was done Friday. Right. But but there was some preparation work that took place. Somebody had to go get the material. Somebody had to bring it back. Somebody had to had to draw up a plan and, and get that get that going. When it says he began to build, this is when he started to actually build. Now, if, if you go back and look at what we looked at last week in chapter six, it took Solomon or chapter five. I'm sorry. It took Solomon three years to gather all this wood. Three years to gather material. Yet on the fourth year is when he starts actual construction. So how soon into Solomon's reign did he start doing what he was called to do by building the temple? Some of you are like, hold on. The kids are homeschooled right now, so I know this. Three plus one is four. Six, right. Close enough. Just round down just a little bit and you'll get it. Uh, four. And the verse said what? In Solomon's fourth year is when he started building. So what I want to point this out is make sure you understand. So if three plus one is four, that means Solomon started built or started gathering the supplies immediately when he became king. This wasn't like a like he was putting it off and enjoying his throne. Like he, he got straight to work. Some of us would favor like Solomon if we would start getting to work rather than prolonging things. Right. You, you jump in a little further. And just a just a side note. First Kings never tells us where the temple's built. But again, Second Chronicles kind of mirrors everything in Kings and, and Samuel. So Second Chronicles chapter three, verse one, it tells us it's built on Mount Moriah. What else you know about Mount Moriah? Moses. What else? Got the promised land. Two other huge significant events take place. One on one side of the hill and one on on the other. One Old Testament, one New Testament. How about Abraham and Isaac? Remember that story? This, this is the hill where he took little Isaac up toting his wood and toting all his stuff and getting ready to sacrifice and God provided a lamb. The other side of this hill, scripture tells us if you, you investigate enough, same hill that Jesus was crucified on. Just the other side of it. So, so this is a significant place in this thing. So this, this isn't just like small stuff, guys, okay? So, so today, three houses are getting built. I want to look at it three ways. The first one, which we'll spend the majority of the time on, is Solomon building God's house. So the first house is Solomon building God's house. And here's the first detail I noticed. The cost. Nobody, scripture tells us this, nobody decides to build something without checking out how much it's going to cost. Right? We had the idea that, that it'd be kind of cool if enough of our people, you know, since we got so many construction-minded people, can, can get a, a basic layout with this idea that maybe we could build another tiny house for somebody else, you know, later. But one thing you got to know is the cost. So, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out, like, what is it going to cost? you got to figure out the cost. Look at what they spent. David, you heard this passage with, with last week's chapter um, and even into chapter 7. David offered 110 tons of gold. 110 tons of gold. The Israelite people offered 170 tons of gold. 
Now, here's what I love. This isn't just a king doing it. This is everybody getting involved. I'm going to tell you right now, America could be awesome if the leadership and the people could get on board together and start doing stuff and building stuff together, right? Am I, am I right? Instead of all the arguing over this and arguing over that and, and this side and that side and all that bull crap that, that we, we see for the whole month, unfortunately, of, of October and a little bit of, of November, if we would just get on board together, and sure, government may provide more, so 110 gold, uh, tons of gold by one, and then the tribes of Israel offer another 170. That's 280 tons of gold. Guys, picture this. Who, who's got one of the fancy bones that's got a calculator on? All of you, I hope, right? 280 tons. You divide that by, let's just say 20, 20 to 22, whichever one you want to do. I don't care. We'll go with some Mac Daddy triaxle dump trucks. Right? How many you got? Somebody's like, you don't need a calculator, Pastor. That's only, uh, five plus five plus four, which is, come on, you guys gotta get better on math. Now you've been homeschooling your kids. Come on. 14. This is 14 triaxle dump trucks of gold rolling in. Now you get the good picture of how much we're talking about. This is a lot of gold now, guys. I mean, you think about it. You go down to the jewelry store and, and you look at this little necklace or this little ring or those little earrings. You know, tell your wives that you said no to the first what, five or six things that you looked at until you got the one you could afford. But think about how much just that little bit costs when you look in there. Here we've got 14, at least 14 dump trucks of gold coming in. You want to take a guess? At the dollar value. And this is only in a building this size, guys. So thank God it wasn't any bigger, I guess, right? Think about it. $13.4 billion. $13.4 billion. But hold on. That's just for decorating gold. That's all that gold's for. Think about it. What did it say? All this gold was what was used for what? Laying over the floor, laying over the chair, laying over the walls, laying over the ceiling. It's just decorative gold. This doesn't include the cost of silver, the cost of bronze, which they used so much bronze they lost count of it. Right? This doesn't include the cost of the cedar, which you remember from last week, they had to go up to the mountains, chop it down, space them, pay some good craftsmen guys to, to get it down, to get it into the water, to float it downstream to where it was going, then to unload it, then to chisel it, then to make it, then to build it into the temple. It doesn't count any of that. It doesn't count any of that. What scripture points out is high grade stone. So they're not just going and picking up big stones, big rocks. They're going for the high grade stone, right? So you got that. This doesn't include what you had to pay 183,000 workers. Some of you wonder where that number come from. We, we studied this last week too, right? 183,000. It doesn't include what you had to feed those guys. There, there's some speculation. I use this, this loosely. Some speculation that during the seven year process, None of the 183,000 people will ever sit. Can you imagine that? A seven-year pro that kind of work, and none of them called in sick. Right? None of them took a Friday off early. Took seven years to complete. Seven years working like this. Now, yes, I understand when, when we read this thing, it says one month, then it says another. So, yes, it's probably seven years and four months. I point out these little details because I don't need y'all to tell me on the front porch. Right? I've done a little studying this week, too. All right, so I got it. I'm just going to round down to seven years, okay? Seven years and four to six months, whatever you want to go with, right? My point is this. we got to count the cost. If we're going to build something, we got to count the cost. It goes no different than even if we're talking about building a marriage, build it, building up for, for our children. You know, I, I would hope none of us, well, uh, I'm guilty of this one as well. Uh, some of us were surprised with kids 
right? So, so we didn't get a chance to count the cost, but you better believe you counted the cost right afterwards, right? And you really counted the cost if you thought maybe another one was coming or another one was coming or, or whatnot. And you tell people all the time. I tell people this. It doesn't matter if you think you're ever going to be ready or not. You might as well have them now because you're never ready. Uh, so just have them as soon as you can. And as long as you're married and proper and whatever other religious things you want me to tell you. Right? So you got all that going on. Count the cost. Pay the price. Next detail. I really do mean this. Next detail, though. The detail. The detail that goes in this thing. All right? So, so look at some of this detail. They didn't use any old material. We've talked about this. They used specific materials that, one, had to be located. This wasn't something they had an abundance of. So it wasn't like they just had extra. Let's just give God the extra, right? Let's use something we got a lot of. We got a lot of that laying around. We got a lot of this. No. No, they had to locate it. They had to purchase it. Remember that deal they made last week? Had to purchase it. Big cost. Had to transport it to the site. And I just read this. I'm like, God, God is not an ordinary guy. Like, he's not looking for ordinary things to be built. By ordinary material. He's an extraordinary God. And he will take ordinary things and make them extraordinary. He's not an ordinary God, right? They had to follow specific instructions to build this thing. Had to have specific dimensions, specific placement. So, so look at all the detail that's going on. When we get into chapter 7, when you get into chapter 7, you read it home this week. When you get into chapter 7 and you read the cherubim, the palm trees, the open flowers, all this stuff's engraved into the wood so that it can then be overlaid with gold. The finest stone used inside the temple, the ceiling, the floors, the walls, covered with the finest cedar wood after all the wood, and then overlaid again with gold and polished to a T. You know, this week I was just thinking, like, you, you just picture this. Could you imagine, like, you know, they didn't have, you know, uh, like lights and stuff like we would have, but could you imagine, like, in the early morning when the sun came in and first hit on the inside of the temple? Can you imagine how beautiful, right, the shine, the glare? You'd have to go get coasters. Maybe that's when they were invented back then, right? You'd have to get a pair. Then chapter 7 also tells us this, that there was a highly skilled bronze worker, the best in the world, Hiram. He's brought in to make furnishings for the temple. Also, which we'll look at chapter 7, he brought in to make furnishings for Solomon's house. Uh, he made these pillars. He made pots. He made shovels. He made bowls. He made tables. He made altars, lampstands, uh, large basin on wheels, all custom made to the highest level of detail for God's house. This was not a small thing despite the small size. God cares about the details. Now, now, if that makes sense in building this right here, don't you think God cares about the details of your life? You know what I love is that with a lot of stuff like this right here, if you can get the small details right, the big picture turns out good. Right? I mean, if you're doing a construction project, you get all the measurements of the small stuff lined up. By the very end, that's something big that looks right. What makes it any different with our lives then? If, if we would stop worrying about some of the big things and start worrying about some of the small details first, they would work themselves out into the big picture. They would. You're so worried about the big picture that you work out here and you forget totally about me. And if I would just do the small things, the rest of it would work itself out. No different than what we're looking at with Wednesday night with the videos. Hear people all the time. Oh, I want a great marriage. I want a great marriage. Well, what are you doing to get it? Oh, well, well, we're staying married. You know how many unhappily married people I know? That, 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 that doesn't do it, okay? What about the small details? What about fixing her coffee in the morning? What about laying his clothes out for him? What about washing his clothes? What about, and not even good things. What about when he needs to be trained to become an adult that you leave those clothes folded on the dresser until he puts them up? You ain't been here on Wednesday. You don't even know who we talking about, so you just keep your little mouth shut, okay? All right? We closer on a Wednesday night than we've ever been any other day, all right? Especially after last week, okay? 
But it's the small things, guys. I guarantee you, if husbands would start doing the small stuff, their wife would take care of the small stuff. And by the end, we'd have glorious marriages. If we would train our kids when they're young with the small details, oh, it'd work out great in the big details. If somebody would have trained these politicians on both sides when they were little, maybe we wouldn't have all the junk we get to vote from right now. Right? It's the small details that make up the big picture. And that's one thing I see with this, man. They're all about the small details. I mean, they've got 50 verses in chapter 7 and 38 verses in chapter 6. There's almost a 100 verses. 88, yes, I know. Almost a 100 verses of Scripture dedicated to the fine details of this building. Now, I didn't like it. I told you I was honest with you. I wanted to skip over and get to chapter 8 because I was ready to. Chapter 8, we get some more life applications. I'm ready, okay? But, 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 but God wouldn't let me. Why? Because we can't skip over the small details of stuff if we want the big picture. Simple lessons, man. Simple lessons. Here's another thing. Another thing was their attitude. Their attitude in this, right? Now, now this kind of goes in with, with some of the detail. They got high-grade stone and they got pure gold. Now, now, when you we translate this thing out and you check it out in the Hebrew, it, it literally makes a difference in just regular gold and pure gold. It's, it's two different, well, it's a, it's a word before it. But anyway, it makes a big difference. So, so here's what I want you to think about. Anybody ever looked at making pure gold? You ever seen the process that goes into this? It is really difficult. Anything pure. I, I've got customers that come and buy all my lead weights, right? Half the time we're ready to get rid of them. So if anybody wants any, I will give them to you. You don't have to buy them. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, lead weights or, or now they're steel and, and different material, but they'll come by them and they'll have to refine them. They dump them in the fire and they burn to get the trash out. They dump them in another fire. It's got to get hotter so they can figure out what steel, what's lead and all the different metal types out. It's a refining process to make anything pure. It has to be refined over and over and over. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of cost because here's what you need to understand. You lose a little bit in the process. Now, think about that. If you're, you gotta be willing to lose a little bit in the process to get the purest material. Right? Is this not exact opposite of our generation? What, what do we see now? We've even seen it with gasoline. And they don't even hide it anymore, right? It's, it's advertised right on every gas pump you go to. What does it say? May contain up to 10% ethanol. Why? Because that's the maximum amount of ethanol they can put in it where the gas will still burn in almost every vehicle on the road. Right? They've, they've watered it down as much as they could. Now, what's the point of that? What is the point of that? Make more money. Right? No, no different, guys. We, our generation is all about watering down stuff and making it less pure so that we can either save more money, make more money, or make it last longer to, to, to establish something different. Right? They do the exact opposite here. They make it more concentrated. They make it as pure as they could get. And church, please understand me. Refining is worth the effort and the cost, right? It's worth the effort and it's worth the cost. If you, if you could burn up some of the trash from your past, you'd have to lose something. But the, the other end of it, oh, it'd be so much worth it, right? Some of the, some of the greatest things that will make our futures better are because of things we've done in the past. Pastor, are you telling us to mess up? No, I'm telling you, you've already messed up. I'm just telling you now make it worth something. Okay? You've already done the screw up part. Now it's time to, to make it worth something. Okay? That's where they're at. Look at the second part when, when we look at this, this plan right here. It says that no hammer, no chisel, or any other iron tool is used on the temple site. 
Now, I'm be honest. I studied this little section for a little while because I want to know why. There's no verse that tells you why. I'm going to give you some speculation, right? And the easiest speculation is this. Maybe Solomon would have got a headache with all that banging going on. You can't tell me I'm wrong because it doesn't say anything else, right? I'm going to be as honest with you I can get when I analyze scripture, right? Maybe it was just Solomon didn't like loud noises and he didn't like it. Secondly, though, which is probably more realistic I'm going to go with. I think it was out of respect. Out of respect for a place that was going to represent the house of God, right? Out of respect for a plan that God has. So they, they took their, their labor. They took every stone. They had to precisely measure it. Now understand this. Now these are big, big rocks, guys. This isn't like us. You know, we tell people what? Measure twice, cut once. Sometimes we cut on this side of the line because it's easier to cut a little bit more next time if it doesn't fit. I don't think these guys would have had that mindset because they had to cut it, make it, shape it, and then they had to pick it up, tote it out of the quarry, up to the temple, put it in this location, and if it didn't fit, then they would have to pick it up, tote it back, redo it, because Solomon said, look, there will be no tool, no chisel, no hammering going on. And that, that means that, yeah, men, now y'all women don't do this, but us men are bad about this, okay? When a board don't fit exactly right, what's the first tool you grab? So, you know, notice that? I didn't have to prime them at all for that. That's a man thing right there. It don't fit, we think what? I will make it fit. I think Solomon might have knew men had that attitude back then. Solomon said, I don't want you coming in with a board that might fit and cramming it and hammering it to make it fit. I want it built exactly right. So no stunt, no, no, no hammering, no chisel, none of that going on in there, right? You say, well, what's the chiseling part? Well, if you can't hammer enough, then you take this flathead screwdriver and you chisel a little bit off the edge and then hammer it in, right? When a tire don't fit good at the tire shop, we take out a cutting tool and we cut a fender to make it fit better. That's just what you do in South Carolina for these rednecks, right? So we got this going on. All right, look at this though. They did this. This, this had, this had to come with a plan, guys. Had to come with a plan. They had to think of everything in advance, right? What I'm telling you is this. The preparation when building a project, when constructing is so important. Have you been preparing for whatever it is you're trying to build? Right? I mean, they had to prepare so much, guys. I don't know if you've ever been in. I'm in charge of like five or six guys at the most on a Saturday, right? And, and that's enough. I'd like to give a couple of them, not you, but a couple of them. A couple of them I might would give away every now and then, right? But but this guy had to be in charge of 183,000 workers. Right? Now, now Solomon's not a wasteful guy, right? So do you think he's going to be in charge of 183,000 workers? And 83,000 of them going to be sitting over there on the smoke break? Ain't no way. Solomon's going to have something planned for every single one of these guys to do the entire time. That takes some major preparation. Right? This is a big, big thing. So so much so, and I got to go back to it again, guys. Verse 7. It should be on the screen so you guys hopefully have read it. If not, it's in your Bible. And the temple they were building, it was built uh, with stone finished at the quarry. So that no hammer, no chisel, no iron tool was heard in the temple. When I read that in my Bible, I wrote down no noise. No noise. Like no noise is like, you ever been to a part in your life where you got to stop and you're praying? You're like, hey, God, I'm just wondering, like, what's going on? I don't hear you doing nothing right now. Now, don't raise your hand because people know you've been in bad situations. And I know you've all never been in a bad situation. You're all just glorious, holier than thou people that are that are wonderful, right? But but I may have been in one of those situations, and maybe somebody else in the room too, where you're just wondering, God, I don't hear you doing nothing. 
Where, where are you at? What? What's going on? It don't seem like nothing's happening, God. What's up? And then, boom, everything comes together. You know how that happens? Because there's a lot of work going on in another location. Right? There's a lot of work going on. And look at God works things out silently and efficiently when we don't even understand it. Any of you blessed to have a pressure cooker? I don't know how to use a pressure cooker, but my wife's got one. Right? Only thing I can use is a crock pot or a grill. That's that's it. That's all you're getting out of me. All right, but this pressure cooker, you don't hear it doing nothing. You know, she's even had it on the counter before, and I've been like, is that thing even on? Like, what is it? What is it? What is it doing? Right? And you don't hear it doing nothing until when? Until some pressure builds up. And what is that pressure build up telling you? It's it's done. It's hot. It's ready. Right? So there may be a period of time when you don't hear nothing going on. And then, boom, the pressure's built up. And it's done. And it's ready. You know how they turn coal into diamonds? Pressure. Pressure. Now, if you think of yourself as this little lump of coal, think highly of yourself or higher of yourself than that. But if you are, then you need to understand this. If you're going to become the diamond, God's going to have to turn up the pressure. And you might not understand it. It might seem quiet. You might not really have a clue what's going on. But God knows what he's doing. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. No noise doesn't mean that nothing isn't happening. Right? The work is on. Maybe you can't hear the sound of the chisel and the hammer and all this stuff. But mark it. Your future, your career, your family, your health, your finances, your children is being built. And that all excites you a little bit. And it ought to get you a little happy to know that something's going on and something's getting built for you. Right? And then, boom, it all fit together just like. It's supposed to. I, I wonder what those guys thought every time they totered a, a piece of stone in. Huh? How many times they were threatened? It better fit this time, right? It doesn't tell us how many times they had to go back. Do you think they even went back? Who's to say they didn't get it all right the first time and not have to turn around? I don't know. You know, I'm just saying, how cool would it be, right? King Solomon completed his temple in seven, seven years. Now that, I'm, I'm telling you, that's fast for what all these got, man. For, for the for the brilliance, the vastness, the elegance, the luxury, the magnificence of it, that is quick. But but it adds something. It adds something to it. We, we've got this school down here that's really pretty. It's really nice. It's called School of the Arts. It took them cats forever to get that thing built. Right? Even when it was finished and students were coming in, now if none of you have been there, you probably don't notice. But even when it was finished, students coming in, they still had construction going on on the inside. Now notice what this verse says, chapter six, verse thirty-eight. And the house of the Lord was finished in all its details. God didn't leave nothing that needed to be worked on any longer. In all its details, according to all its plans. So he was done in seven years of building it, right? God perfectly finished what he started. What does Paul say about us? Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He's not going to leave you unfinished. Now, it might take seven years. It might take 13 like it takes for Solomon's house. It might take longer. I don't know. But my point is this, God's not going to leave you unfinished. This whole section is speaking to the way that God wants his work done. I love that he used human hands. I never even thought about that. So, again, I had to read these chapters a lot because I was trying to get at it right. But I was sitting there like, why couldn't God have just sent down angels and built this thing and it be done? Because he wanted to use human hands. I mean, as small of a detail as that is, it's still important to me. Because that means he he chooses to use us to get the jobs done, right? Another thing, God wants to work in his people. 
the greatest work in the kingdom some happen happen sometimes happens quietly, right? But it's only quiet because somebody else is working in the court. Right? Understand this, man. Look at verse 13. Still in chapter 6, you're like, man, if he ain't made it chapter 7 yet, chapter 7 is real fast, I promise. Right? Look at verse 13. I will dwell among the Israelites and not abandon my people in Israel. I love this because what did we say temples were used for in chapter 5? They're, they're copying the pagans. What did the pagans use the temple for? Contain their God. Their gods were so small and so tiny and so weak that they really thought those walls and that door would keep their God inside. Right? God is saying this right here. I'm going, you're going to build this temple for me. And it's going to be a cool place where I can meet up with you guys. You can worship me. You can sacrifice. We can get right. We can do all that. But keep in mind, I'm going to be dwelling among my people all among Israel. So this temple is not going to contain me, right? I don't think God spoke these words by accident. I think he's flat out reminding them. Right? I'm going to be dwelling all among you guys and doing this, right? Now skip all the way down to 38. I told you we'd fly, dude. You're like, yeah, that should have been more amens right there. Y'all didn't amen it. You know what? Go back to verse 14. I don't want to skip. No. Verse 38. And in his 11th year in the month of that, so that tells us it was seven years and four to six months, right? Uh, eight month temple was completed in every detail according to every specification. So he built it in seven years. Now we, we spent all this time looking at all this, looking at the strategies, looking at the time frame and all this right here. Here's the warning before we jump into chapter seven and what's going to happen in chapter seven, which like I said is very, the warning is just very, very brief. It's too good not to, not to throw in with this, right? It was so easy for Israel to focus on the temple of God and not focus on the God of the temple that it's going to get them in trouble. Now, how often do we do the same thing? How often is it that it's so easy for us to focus on the item of the religion rather than the relationship with God? Right? We do this sometimes. We, we treat things this way sometimes, and it gets us in trouble. And, and here's the sad part. Without continued faithfulness to God, notice it until 1 Kings chapter 14. It's only going to take them five years after the death of Solomon for the temple to be destroyed. All that time of building it, all that preparation, all that, all that took over. Solomon's going to die, chapter 14, and it's going to take five years, and the temple's going to be destroyed. Right? Guys, if our priorities aren't set straight, we get ourselves in trouble. Right? Look, look at look at chapter 7, how it starts off. Very beginning of chapter 7, you have to open your Bible for this because Mike didn't read it. He told me that was too many verses. He didn't really say that. Solomon was building his own house. Well, at least he had that part right. You know, build God's house first, then build your house. Right? So that's good. I'm thinking, yeah, Solomon's going to be just like his dad. Right? And he finished his entire house. Well, good. Oh, hold on. After the 13th year. Now, hold on. Now, you built God's house in seven years. You ain't sent the workers home yet. Some of you are thinking, how do you know that they had? Because the workers go home a little bit later. So you still got all these workers working. Yet you're going to spend more than twice as much time building your own place. And in case you thought I'm just being hypercritical and, and they maybe weren't working as fast or whatever. Look at verse two. He built the house uh, and it actually gets named the forest of Lebanon. So it's got so much wood in it. It's now taken away from the, the wood that's been put in the temple. And it's called his house. It's called the forest of Lebanon. That's how much wood it's got in it. And its length was a hundred cubits. 
Oh man, how how big was the temple? You only got to flip back one page. What was it? Oh. So so it's it's almost half. It's almost double the size. Oh. And and and, and fifty cubits in its height. How tall was the other one? Thirty-two. So there again, we got uh, we got a little bit, a little bit difference here going. And it was built in four rows, cedar pillars with cedar beams on the pillars and, and all this fancy stuff. What's the point of it, though? And now here's what you need to understand. And I don't think I'm making a lot of speculation here because I think that's the way Scripture is painted. So you got chapter six painting all the stuff of the temple. The end of chapter seven from 15 on, it's going to go back to talking about all the bronze work in the temple. So you got to ask, all right, God, what is your purpose of putting chapter seven with one through 15 right there in the middle that talks about Solomon's house? Would it be any different than us telling us about Solomon marrying an Egyptian Pharaoh's daughter for no reason a couple chapters ago? It's showing us the downward spiral and the trouble he's getting into. It's showing us purposely that, that Solomon's starting to care more about his own stuff than God's stuff. And, and, and church, hear me. That, that, that size difference, that time difference and all that stuff, I don't know how intentional it was, but here's the truth. Sometimes in the unintentional things we do, it reveals our true heart. I don't think when he started out building his, his own palace, his house, I don't think he intended on making it bigger, fancier, stealing nicknames and all than the temple. But when it comes to our personal comfort and our luxuries, it reveals our true heart. Right? So his true heart gets revealed in this thing. Understand this. Now, the things that involve our personal comfort and our, and our luxurious tastes reveal what's going on in our true heart. No different from Solomon here. Okay? In verse 12, as it gets to the, to the end of his, his house, it says, so were the inner court of the house of the Lord. What, what's it saying? It's, it's literally showing us that we're left with the idea that as great as the temple was, Solomon's palace is better. And as excited as everybody, remember, remember now, we looked at the, we spoke about this a couple weeks ago with, with the book of Ezra. When this temple gets destroyed and, and, and some time goes on and they rebuild it, some of the old people are going to come back in and they're going to start crying because what they rebuilt was nothing compared to what the temple was. So the temple was supposed to be that awesome. Yet Solomon's house begins to take some of the glory and some of the nicknames right beside this. You, you ever been to any of the old cities in Europe? I mean, some beautiful places over there, right? If you've never been like in the service of one over there, but just a vacation or whatever, but you go and you see these, these, these extravagant buildings, beautiful cathedrals, beautiful churches, right? When we went to Germany, uh, to visit Crystal's family and stuff, one of the things we did was we, we, we toured all the, all the churches and the castles and, and took a train. I mean, it was just awesome. What was so cool to me though, and it still stays in my head, was, was in these little towns where you had these big old cathedrals and, and big old buildings. Now, not all of them. They've been modernized just like we have. But in some of them, you had all that stuff, and then you had like these little tiny houses scattered amongst the town that were still still there. They might have been used for storefronts or something different now, but they, they were still there. And originally, you could look at the history and see that this was a house and this was a house. There was no comparison to what was the main thing of that town and that city, right? There, there was no comparison. You, you sit back and you, and you look at this stuff and you understand. Like those townspeople had to come together and, and sacrifice and build and, and use material to get something that nice, that pristine, and that pretty. Yet they were content to live in, in something less. Then you got Solomon who builds this palace, his palace, greater value and greater show 
It shows something about their value, does it not? Now, now let me ask you, let's, let's, let's apply this. Because I said there wasn't a whole lot of a real life application, but here it is, right? What about us today? What about in the modern world here in the U.S. of A? What is it that looks the most extravagant? I'm going to keep trying to say that word until I get it right. It's all right. Right? What, what, what is it? Think about it. What is it? Think about it. I'll start small. I'll never forget when they finally redid the movie theater building over there by the mall. Any of you ever been there? I don't know, right? But when you first went there and that thing first opened, man, lights were everywhere. The outside shape was so cool. It was like a castle. I mean, it was just awesome, right? A place of entertainment. A place of entertainment. The mall is big, right? A place of business. We talk about these super centers, right? Super shopping center, super this, super that, outlet here, outlet there. What are they? Places shopping. Much as I don't like to say it, have you seen some of the new NFL stadiums getting built? Dark Vader Stadium over there in Las Vegas? Have you seen that thing? Billions of dollars going into these things. Right? Now, if we were okay saying that it showed something of the value of the townspeople with their awesome buildings, and we're okay saying it shows something of the value of Solomon and his house versus the temple, then we have to be okay saying that it shows something about our values when the most luxurious things we're building have nothing to do with honoring God. Now, some of you are also thinking on the flip side here, which I give you a warning. Uh, Haggai chapter 1, 3 through 10 speaks very powerfully for those that think more about their house than they do the house of God. It's a good study right there in itself, okay? And, and as we look at this, and you're thinking, hold on now, man, there's been, there's been some millions put into church buildings. Yeah. What's going on on the inside? What's going on on the inside of them? What are their people really doing? Now, I'm not saying all of them are trash, okay, because they're not. But I'm, I'm just being blunt and honest. When I see the resources some churches have, and I see the workforce that they have, and I see the little effort that's being done, I question the authenticity of what they're going on in their faith. Okay? And that's not me being judgmental. That's just me being accountable. If me saying that statement causes another mega pastor to step up to the plate and get his workforce rolling, then I'm glad to have done it. Okay? And, 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 and if I'm wrong, then, then that's all right. They can hold me accountable too. I'm okay to get made better, right? Right? We should be. Look at chapter 7. The rest of chapter 7 describes all this bronze work. I just want to look at one part of it. One part, a lot of bronze work. Verse 15, he cast two pillars of bronze. Mentioned again in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 17. These are impressive pillars. They get names they are so big. Could you imagine naming your pillars? Right? Yep, that's pillar one and that's pillar two. Nope, it's not enough. You give it a name. What is it? Jaquin and Boaz, right? One on the right. You check out what these words mean. Here's what really comes in, right? Jaquin means he shall establish. Boaz means in his strength. So every king that would come in there after Solomon would see these pillars. They would know the names because they were there. They were etched into it with gold, right? The people would talk about it and they would see he established and it's in his strength. So you'd have that moment of humbleness right when you got ready to walk in that, oh, I didn't establish it and it's not my strength. It's he established it and it's his strength, Right. Some people would go further and say that they use two towers to remind them about the twin pillars from Exodus. You know, the fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day to remind them that God was always present with them through the wilderness. That's fine, too. 
I'm okay with it. But no matter what they remembered, when they got to those pillars and those names were there, they would see, he shall establish, and in him is strength. Now you take that a little further and you think about in the midst of worship, people coming into this palace, people coming in into this, this temple, this place, and they would read those words, he shall establish, and him is my strength. The temple established by God, built by the strength of God, right? He likes to establish things, and he likes to strengthen things. Now, as a believer, you got to be starting to understand the more you read those words and the more you say those words and the more you come into the temple, you're now seeing, hold on. I'm established in my relationship with God. And because of my relationship with God, I am strengthened. Right. You, you keep on going a little further and you would understand this from this building. The whole community would know God wants you to come here to get established. And he wants you to come here to receive the strength of the Lord. They would begin to understand this isn't just a ritual. This isn't just something we normally do. This has meaning behind it. Right. And they're some of the best lessons from it. So check out, check out what else is built in the, in the bronze and everything, right? I told you there's three houses. So you got the house Solomon built for God. You got Solomon's own house. Now we're going to conclude with the house that God builds. First Corinthians chapter six, 19 to 20. Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom have received from God? You are not your own any longer, but you were bought at a price. Therefore honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. First Corinthians chapter three, 16 through 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. And together you are that temple. Now, not to take away that we are each our own temple, but sometimes I think in the church world, we forget about that little verse right there that says what you together are the temple. The body of Christ together is what makes a completed temple, right? So, so if we look at this, and you can ask yourself this question. If we are the temple of God, what condition is your temple in? What condition is it in? Would God like walk in and be amazed by it still? Or would he walk in and know, well, it won't be but five years and this place will be destroyed because of what's going on? What about the other things you're building? What about your marriages? What about your children? What about your, your jobs, right? What kind of dedication and devotion are you putting forth to that that God is trying to redeem inside of you? Well, I've accepted Christ. Well, good. You've poured the foundation. Because that's all accepting Christ does. It pours the foundation to start it. Now the real building can start. Now the real construction can take place. Now, Now the real walls can get put up. What condition is your temple in? What kind of sacrifices are you making for God? They had to make a lot of sacrifices to get it right, right? Here's another neat thing. Even though King David wasn't allowed to build the temple, we've said this before, it didn't stop him from giving his offering to God. Second Samuel 24, 24, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God offerings that cost me nothing. David was all about sacrificial love. You go back to these marriages, since we're on the same with these Wednesdays, I'm going to use it, right? You're like, well, well, I don't really want to do that. It doesn't matter what you want to do. Sacrifice. True love is a sacrifice. If it was just feelings and emotions, God couldn't command you to love. What do you mean? God tells you to love. It's not a choice. It's not a, well, when you feel good and, and everything's going great, love. No. No, he said you're to love. You're to stay. You're to work. You're to do. What about when I don't feel like it? It doesn't have an exception for that. There's no parentheses in Scripture that says except for when you don't feel like it. That means it's a sacrifice. You're not always going to feel like it. Huh? 
We, we've got this concept that we tell young married couples or people getting married all the time. Oh, yeah, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's a train. It's a train coming at the end of the tunnel. It's going to smack you square in the mouth. And you're going to have to decide how you recover from it. Let's not set them up for failure. Let's set them up for success. I'm not saying it's bad. I would never trade you being married. Right? Never. I'm just being honest. It takes some work. And I'm okay with that. I'm willing to put forth the work. She's willing to put forth the work. If the kids aren't willing to put forth the work, we'll get rid of them. Huh? It's that easy. Fall behind our family, we cut you loose. Right? David's attitude, though, is he's willing to put forth the sacrifice. What you're willing to sacrifice for reveals what you truly love and are dedicated to. Hear me? What you're willing to sacrifice for decides what you truly love and you're really dedicated to. If you're willing to sacrifice a marriage for junk outside, that tells us what you're really in love with. Okay? But if you're willing to sacrifice the joy of outside for what's inside, that tells us. Now, now understand me, that doesn't mean you've never made a mistake of going outside. You had to get outside to see how good it was to then for it to be a sacrifice, right? It's more of a sacrifice when you say, you know what, I've tried... I've tried that snicker bar over there and it just wasn't that. I don't know why I use snicker bar. I'm sorry. Right? I've tried that and it wasn't good. I'm going back to my grapefruit. Right? <laughs> I ruined that. I apologize. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out here. What kind of purity do you give God? We talk so much about that purification process, which is vital. So what kind of purity do you give God? I mean, really? Solomon used the purest gold, the finest stones when offering to God. I, I'm amazed by this guy that he took so much time to get the wood and the stones that were the best because he knew he was going to cover them with gold the whole time. Right? If we know we're covering something up, we sometimes kind of cheat. I, I've got, now this will, this will blow some of your minds. Some of you who are into vehicles, you really won't care at all. I, I've got customers who will buy these American Force fancy, fancy, and I'm talking like six, seven thousand dollar package wheels for their dualies. And they come in 99% of them. By the regular package, which comes with four. Y'all understand a dually has four wheels on the back, right? Okay. Just making sure we're all on board. They'll buy these fancy wheels that have the outside right and the, the front right. But then that inside wheel, it's just old steel wheel. Ain't nothing fancy. It looks like something to come off of a dump truck that's been used for 100 years, right? But they don't care because what happens? The outside is what everybody sees, right? This is This is what we're accustomed to doing. Not so with what Solomon's doing. He wants the purest thing he could build for God, that even the foundation and the beams behind the gold were going to be the very best. God desires a purest heart much much more than the largest sacrifice. Well, what does that really mean? Look at this. We use it this way in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22. He said it's better to obey than sacrifice. What are you really getting at? Let's look even more. In the middle of this building process, in the middle of this, chapter 6, verse 11 through 13, here's what, here's what God comes in and says, right? The word of the Lord came to Solomon and says this, verse 12. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, you follow my what? My word, my law, my written stuff. Observe my laws, keep my commands, and obey them. I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to your dad, David. And I will live amongst Israelites and not abandon my people in Israel. What's he saying? You got a part to do. This is a conditional promise. We don't like this, but it's conditional. 
The condition is this. If you obey the word, if you keep it the way it is, we'll be all right, right? If you don't obey all the commands, then it ain't going to happen. So think about it. We talked about it today in, in modern terms, the, the, the large ministries and all. The largest ministry that doesn't sincere, sincerely, sincerely, whatever, have a heart to God is, is lost. And, and some of us may have lost everything because our heart wasn't pure in the process. If our bodies are the temple of God, therefore they should reveal all that God wants done in our lives. Which means we should be the first ones obeying stuff. You know, we talk about the, the inner heart, the most holy. When, when, when Mike was reading, it, it paused and had that, that separate little room, the holy of holies, right? You got closer and closer to, to where only a priest would be. The most holy place, verse 19 says, the inner sanctuary. Right? Well, that's the heart of man. When we're talking about this New Testament idea of us being the temple that God's building, right? And, and if that's the case, what's written there? Well, the Ark of the Covenant, which contains what? Stone tablets, which have what? The Ten Commandments written on them, which is what? God's Holy Word. So if God's Holy Word is supposed to be in our heart, shouldn't the world see that? Let me ask it this way. Do we have in place, in our in, what do we have in place in our inner saints' word? Is it God's Word? And, and are we being obedient to it? Psalm 119, your word I've hidden in my heart that I will not sin against you. First Peter chapter 1, for this very reason, make every effort. Notice this now. Make every effort. Here's things you're supposed to be adding to your faith. Because some of you think when you got faith, like that was it. No, that was the beginning. Add to your faith goodness and add to goodness knowledge and add to knowledge self-control and add to self-control perseverance and add to perseverance godliness and add to godliness mutual affection and add to um, and mutual affection, add to love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Wow. Wow. Add goodness to this foundation. On top of goodness, add knowledge. On top of knowledge, add self-control. Self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, love, and much more. First Peter 1.16. Be holy just as your God is holy. Which means what? Be set apart. God was set apart from any of the other gods back then. And, and as we're, we're done right now, construction is real exciting when it first starts, right? Isn't it? It's always exciting when it first starts. You first get to build something, you, you're first doing this. But it seems that it loses the excitement. And when it loses the excitement, what does it lose next? The workers. And when it loses the workers, what happens? They don't get finished. Let's not lose the excitement of the construction project God's got going on, right? Maybe maybe this season, this time for you, you're in the core. You're being chiseled to fit exactly where God wants you to be. But but if you go back to that Corinthians chapter 3, 16, it tells us all of you together are the temple. If we are the temple together, then all of us have a part to do. All of us got a role and a task to do. And if one of us ain't getting it done right, Solomon said, you got to go back to the quarry and you got to get chiseled on some more and then you got to come back and see if you fit the way you're supposed to fit. Let God do the chiseling. Let, let God be the greatest craftsman, right? This, this song we're going to sing, it's got a line that says that he's the cornerstone. What a cornerstone is what you build on and what keeps everything together. So if he's the cornerstone, that's happening, right? If he's not, then we got a heap of trouble coming our way. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Lord, I pray that you use just the, the basic ingredients of this building project, Lord, to, to open our eyes to whatever it is you want to be doing in us. 
Lord, take these verses, take this foundation, Lord God, to set the tone for what's to come in the rest of this book. Lord, I pray that you move in such a mighty way through this right now, Lord God, that the unexpected happens in each of our lives. God, that you do what I can, Lord. Lord, I speak physically, you speak spiritually. Lord, move throughout us spiritually, God. God, light up areas that need to be chiseled away, Lord God, and just let us release those areas to you so that you can chisel away even though it hurts, so that you can refine, refine even though that means we may lose something. Let us realize it's worth it. In your great name we pray. Amen.